There was a rather peculiar limerick being delivered by someone in the shuttlecraft bay. I am not sure I understand it. There was a young lady from Venus whose body was shaped like a... Captain to security, come in! Did I say something wrong? I don't understand their humor either. Live long and prosper. Don't do that. I am not a merry man. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Track Wars, hosted by the Rebels Rebels podcast, the podcast that usually talks about the Star Wars Extended Universe by doing episode by episode deep dives into TV, movie, comics, and other things. But right now, we are exploring the wonderful world of Star Trek. I am Captain Peter, and alongside my first mate and helmsman, it's Mike. How are you, Mike? Oh man, I'm 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 fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, way to bring that energy. Yeah, well, you know, yeah. The American response is, "I'm good. How are you?" I guess I should just stick to that, shouldn't I? I get, no, so. you know what? I I'm re- good. I appreciate your realism. I like that. You know what? We don't need no fake stuff on this podcast. Great. I am pretty excited about this one, and I'm pretty interested to see how you felt about it. I actually re-listened to our first one, and I'm hoping with some of the feedback you gave us from Measure of a Man, this is a little bit more within your wheelhouse, but I am still cautiously optimistic because I feel like I can already hear the mic critiques in my head. So with that... Do you want to just jump into episode, was it? It was season five, episode two of Star Trek The Next Generation, Darmok. Mm, yeah. Imagery is everything to the Tamarians. It embodies their emotional states, their very thought processes. It's how they communicate and it's how they think. If we know how they think, shouldn't we be able to get something across in them? No, sir. The situation is analogous to understanding the grammar of a language, but none of the vocabulary. If I didn't know who Juliet was or what she was doing on that balcony, the image alone wouldn't have any meaning. That's correct. All right, let's start with a summary. The summary is as follows. <clears throat> the Beast at Tanagra. Darmok Angelad at Tanagra. Temba, his arms open. Temba, at rest. Shaka when the walls fell. The beast at Tanagra. Darmok and Jalad on the ocean. Uzani, his army with fists open. Mirab with sails unfurled. Zinda, his eyes black, his eyes red. Darmok and Jalad when the walls fell. Darmok and Jalad on the ocean. Dathan and Picard on El Edriel. Mike and Peter on a podcast? And so that was the entire summary in Tamarian. It really was. I I love that summary, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Uh, let's jump into this episode. Um, I want to just, let's just get general thoughts. And I kind of want to hear specifically, one of the things you were saying about Measure of a Man is that you look to your science fiction, your fantasy as kind of a little bit of escapism and the maybe dealing with our allegories of slavery and how we treat other races in our real world was not something you wanted to consider when you're partaking in escapism. How did this feel 
in terms of escapism and did you generally like it? Um, I'll, I'll tackle the first one maybe is a, a loaded question. So I'll tackle the second one. Did I like it first? Mm-hmm. Um, and I did. I really liked this episode. Yeah. Um, I, I have, I have zero critiques of this. Whoa. I, I, I th- okay. I'm shocked. Actually. I did not anticipate this. <laughs> I was fully engaged from start to finish. Um, this is, would be exactly what I want from, <laughs> it, I mean, but, but it was a little unevenly weighted to maybe things I love too, which is, um, I love mythology and I love, mm-hmm. um, and just like these, uh, the, you love everything language. about it. Yeah. What you love language. Yeah. I love language. Yeah. Um, All yeah, right, we're every, done. Podcast is over. Yeah. That's, that was it. Honestly, I'm like, Pack it in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't say I love Star Trek now because <laughs> I know every episode is so different and that's, mm-hmm. I think something people enjoy and that's almost what I don't enjoy about Star Trek is you never, you never super know what you're going to get. Um, and there are so many, or at least in the episodes I have sampled, they are so can vary so wildly, mm. um, that I think I, I, I would need to watch it one, or maybe I just need to start episodes and then just skip and just skip right away if I'm, if I'm not interested. But, um, mm-hmm. this one, it was just so intriguing to me, like from start to finish. I loved it. That's awesome. Yeah, this is a fascinating episode. Um, and it's actually, I think it's a pretty definitional episode in the sense that every Star Trek fan who's like watched the whole series, if you just said like Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra, they would like chuckle because they just get that reference. Also, as you can probably imagine, and a lot of thought went into this and kind of how the language and the society of the Tamarians would be structured. To this, all the way to, I found, you know, there's like scholarly, scholarly articles written about this. There's studies that are done at the university level about how language in Darmok reflects on how different cultures talk to each other and what words mean from an anthropological standpoint. This is taught in college classes and things like that as well. So I think it's a very cool representation of what Star Trek can be at its best. We talked about that a lot with, you know, the thesis of Star Trek being when humanity can come, humanity can come together and be better in the future. And I think this is something that is kind of reflecting on our current times in that way is learning about that and trying to learn about understanding in our current day. I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's kind of a cool interplay that I like when Star Trek kind of meets our real world in a way that's not necessarily like, look at how terrible we are to people that we've enslaved, et cetera. Yeah. And, and I think, I think that's one of the keys about what I liked about this episode mm-hmm. was that it, it focused, the focus was on coming together. Cause I feel like just so much of the focus of the last few years of our lives have been on, or maybe I'm just sensitive. You know, I did have a kid mm-hmm. in the last two years. And so media, I'm just, it, have become really sensitized to a lot of what's going on. And, um, you know, it can be hard to watch things, but, um, I, I just the anthropology of, of this episode rather than like the polit, I mean, that, that was like the, the, the leading kind of element is that like anthropological, you know, almost study of this, but in space. And that's more interesting to me than, 
like the political social science side that maybe maybe the measure of the man took mm-hmm. more in. Yeah. I think it's interesting, you know, you were saying that Star Trek can be so varied. I think especially in terms of quality, that is true. I think I mentioned this last episode that there are some bad some episodes that are just straight up bad, terrible, including some that are downright offensive. Um that being said, you know, I think Star Trek generally has a few buckets that they play in. So it's maybe a little less um little less random. It's, you know, there's the there are the battle episodes, the exciting action episodes where it's like, you know, the Borg are coming and they're going to try to assimilate your entire your entire crew and so you need to fight back. Then there's the understanding episodes, the ones that are measured trying to say something about who we are as people. Um, you know, which is there's another episode with the Borg where they find, and I don't know if you even know who the Borg is, but I'm just using it as an example, but they find this killer robot drone person and they ask the question, can this person be redeemed? So they do those. The other thing Star Trek does really well is mystery. And so that's a big bucket with a lot of their episodes. And sometimes they blend, you know, this is obviously saying something about how we communicate with each other, but in the end, this is also kind of a mystery, you know? Like, why did this captain bring Picard down to the planet? Why? What does he want? What's the goal here? What does this language mean? How do we crack the code? And I think Star Trek does mystery really, really well. Um, and so I thought that's another reason why this might be kind of a fun episode for us to watch together. Yeah, yeah, it- yeah, the mystery of it did definitely kind of pull me along. I, I will say that I almost immediately assumed they were talking in metaphor, and that's not like to pat myself <laughs> on the back. But, um, you know, I don't know how many people, Star, Star Trek fans especially, get to watch this for the first time. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, So me really, truly watching this for the first time and having no context around what was going to happen, I, I, I picked up pretty quick, like, you know, within the first... For, within the first maybe five few minutes of them speaking i was like okay they're referring to their cult things that have happened in their cultural cultural mm-hmm. mythos and that's how they're talking um uh not i don't know i i bring that up to say like um the the mystery of it for me was it was like as an audience member it was i forget what that's called you know that whatever that dramatic effect where the audience knows what's going on but the characters mm-hmm. don't I don't think that's what the writers were trying to do. I think they were trying to keep the audience and characters in suspense, but I kind of found myself wanting the characters to get there faster because I got there way <laughs> before they did, and I knew the show writers didn't want me to get there, though. And so, we get uh, it. You're smart. We get no. it. <laughs> no, I'm, so no that, that but is, if, if I've... Uh, you know, it yeah. brings up a question that I'm actually kind of interested in is, so the whole premise of it and why I think that this whole you know, the structure of the Temerian culture and language is so interesting. And something actually, I can't think of anywhere else I've really seen this kind of a story happen is that that's not necessarily the mystery that needs to be cracked, right? And that's, you know, Data and Troy have that exact conversation is, what what, what did they say? They said it's the equivalent of them knowing the grammar of a language, but not the meaning of the language. And so... I wonder, did that completely solve the mystery for you? Because, yeah, maybe you did very quickly say, oh, okay, they're talking metaphors. But if you don't know what 
Darmok is or Tanagra, what the beast was and Shaka, etc. then even if you know how their language is structured, you still can't communicate with them. And that's kind of the core of this that is interesting. And so there's two parts about that. One is, did that work for you? Was it still kind of suspenseful? Even if you figured it out, you don't get the meaning behind it. And then secondly, just to point out, that's kind of the genius of, I think we talked about this technology, they have the universal translator. So they are speaking English, you know, it's being translated technically, but the translator doesn't understand the meaning because this alien race has no sense of ego in the sense that they can d- differentiate between events and people and themselves. Yeah, was that a question? Yeah, it kind of went off. Oh. So that was that was a point. The question was, did it work for you with the sense of you you might have figured out the structure of the metaphors, but you didn't know what the metaphors were. So was there still a sense of suspense behind it for you? Yeah, there there was uh, slight, it, um, but I, I think where the you know if I was going to nitpick where it fell apart was Data and Deanna talking like the way they them trying to figure out what the meanings of things like mm-hmm. I think they understood it was like uh, these are proper nouns these are these are places and people but like when they like even like when they searched the computer it's like. Mm-hmm. They didn't seem like great researchers. They were searching terms individually. I'm like, just search the terms together. Like, <laughs> uh, like you know, they search Darmok. There's 47 injuries, and they s- search Tanagra. And, you know, then they're like, oh, then they look for common. Well, it was stuff like that. And, and then mm-hmm. even them, like, transposing their logic of, like, it seems like they're speaking in, you know, uh, in illustrations and or, you know, the, um, I don't know. I, I, maybe it was just what was happening back on the ship was the... Uh, was where I, I thought it fell apart of like, yeah, I've, it's just a nitpick, but mm-hmm. like it was, it was weird that like these two really smart and sentient people weren't putting it together. Yeah. Um, th- I guess that's, that's where like my nitpick would come in is like, I wanted, I wanted them to get there faster. And then to your point, they could get there, but then to, you know, understand the meaning of the stories is to truly know the stories deeply. That way you could understand the inference and like kind of subtlety in each. Mm-hmm. Cause that's where it was interesting. And they never really got to those moments. They kind of just discovered, Oh, they're talking about myths. Like what do these myths generally mean? But you know, you you could dig a layer deeper there and kind of get to the first rung of the ladder quicker. Yeah, totally. I think there's a, uh... It's interesting because, you know, they're dealing with two things at the same time. You know, they're dealing with the the emergency with their captain right now where they don't know what's going on. And so, yeah, at that point, they're just like, all right, just give us the give us the cliff notes. We need to figure out what's going on right now. And that was something that really worked for me is the suspense of the people on the ship. I mean, they would obviously think that this was an aggressive action, you know, and I like, again, that the Federation they use violence as the very last, very last recourse when they have no other option. And even when it gets to the point of using violence, they're not trying to destroy them and kill them. They're trying to just disable this field and get their captain back and hopefully avoid any casualties. And so like that suspense worked for me. But then I think the question that you're talking about is the broader question of they've now after coming to this understanding with the efforts of the captain, um, 
Dathan is his name, Captain Dathan, the Temerian captain, and Captain Picard, they risked everything for this communication and actually were able to open some sort of channel for the very first time. And so I think with Picard and Riker at the end of the episode talking about how Picard is brushing up on his own myths for his own culture, I think that's what that was indicating is this is the beginning of the story. So now the long-term issue is how do we try to get an understanding when we are so far apart and don't know the cultural meanings and the subtleties of all these different stories and it might be impossible to do so. Um, and that's kind of left up to the imagination because, you know, the Temerians for the most part aren't really a recurring force to be dealt with. Um, they, they do show up in a couple other little things, but yeah, we never really get the answer of, you know, did this become now are they allies and have they joined the Federation, for example? Um, and so I think there's some different layers there that really worked for me. I had some other notes about the specific episode. You brought up the 47 search results for Darbok. It's funny that re-watching this episode, and I think that's why I think the mystery works for me, and you can see for me it's a uh, mystery that is pretty great, is when I first watched this, it has a complete, completely different meaning to me than when I watch it with an understanding of kind of the punchline and how this end episode is going to turn out. It's kind of like when you watch fight club for the first time. And then after that, every time you watch fight club, it's never going to be the same again. So as this was going, I can kind of actually understand what the captain is trying to communicate. And I can notice little things like when they got the 47 search results for Darmok, it's funny to me that the first result the computer says is the one that they were looking for. So they, I, I, I agree. Maybe they could have been a little bit better internet sleuths. Yeah. Yeah. So be it. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, did you notice, so while they're trying to figure out the space science of it all, Jordy is in the engineering room and he is working with a young woman who is an engineer on the, in the engineering room with him. And he's like, her name's Leffler, and he's like, hey, Leffler, like, do the thing, and says some space science stuff. Did you happen to notice who that actor was? Uh, I didn't. So the actor who is there is Ashley Judd. This is the first thing Ashley Judd was ever in. I don't know why that mean name, name means nothing. I'm looking it up. You don't know who Ash- Ashley Judd Ashley is? Judd. Yeah, she's quite famous. Um, so sorry. <laughs> I'm looking her up, and I still I'm not connecting it. American actress and political act. American actress, political activist. Yeah, she comes from a country music family, and she was in quite. a... Oh, I know. Yeah, I know Wynonna Judd. That's funny. Yeah. Okay. She's, she's Wynonna Judd's sister, but she's been in a bunch of movies. Like, let's see, what movies might you have seen? Heat was. Have you seen Heat? No. Oh. Um, I'm looking else? at all our movies. I know. Uh, Maybe I haven't seen a lot of Ashley Judd movies either. I, I just know that seen, she's famous. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I'm looking at all our movies and none of them really. Interesting. Them D- really. Double Jeopardy was a big one for her. That was kind of maybe her biggest movie. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. Da, da. I mean, I know these movies. I just, I don't <laughs> know that I pay attention. I mean, I'm like, I, I've probably seen most of these. I just... Well, 
Interesting. Yeah, she's okay. a famous actor, and Got this it. was the sure. first thing she was ever in uh, before she was famous. I actually heard a story that she was auditioning for something else on the lot, and they needed someone just to be in this part. Something happened that the person ah, fell funny. through, and so they're just like, "Hey, are you an actor? All right, come be on Star Trek." And they just like grabbed her and like put her in a costume, <laughs> and she ended up being on a couple episodes, including she has a little love arc with Wesley Crusher, who is a character I don't think you have met yet. Oh, fair um, enough. But yeah, were there any other just general Star Trek things? I mean, talking about the space science, I think, I don't think we got much of this in Measure of a Man, but this is, there are a couple Star Trek quotes that you might be familiar with, or uh, tropes, I should say, that you might be familiar with just because it's kind of reached cultural zeitgeist. And one is the very generic, like, all right, we need to modify the phasers. How long will that take? Uh, Four hours? I need it in two. Yeah, And then they like do some space science uh, to figure it out. And so many of the problems are just like the APS alignment is out of phase with the DPS conduit in the trans buffler matrix. And you're just like, okay, cool. How did all that work for you? Did that bug you at all? No, because it's so commonplace. It's just, it's everywhere. Yeah. If you don't like that, you're not going to like sci-fi. It's, okay, cool. it's almost that simple. Like, it's you have to suspend some disbelief, and it's just it's it's a me- a mechanism, not a. I don't really want. I don't want that stuff explained because mm-hmm. I don't care. But you know, if but using it as like a it's Star Star Wars does the same thing, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, why did you know why did they have to do the Kessel Run? What were they trying <laughs> to get? Yeah, you know, like what does that feel? Do? You know what I mean? It's just like if you dig too deep, you're, it's going to all fall apart. Totally. Yep. Yeah, and it's just nice, too, because I think that is true that that's a trope of all Star Wars. I think people sometimes get bristle a little bit more with Star Trek because, again, getting to the theory of Star Trek, almost all problems are solved by either understanding or science. And so, you know, Star Wars, can't they'll rely on a blaster or a lightsaber quite often, but... You know, half of 60%, 75% of the episodes are going to be solved by Jordy being in a room, like typing on a data pad, being like, run the buffer coils through the APS X fold conduit. And they're just like, okay, cool. Um, and some science thing happens. Yeah, um, yeah that's cool with me. I, yeah. I don't care. Cool. I like it too. Um, there's other, did you like Picard's cool leather jacket? This was the first time he wore that. Oh, in that's series. funny. I was, I mean, I very noticed it. Um, yeah. I wasn't sure if it was how off I was like, oh, maybe this is like a season five thing. Um, yeah. There's a funny thing that I think, I don't know the actual background of it, but the costumes change quite a bit through next generation. Um, and you'll notice, I mean, just through Star Trek in general, the, the, all the series have very different costumes, even ones that, that go concurrently, like Deep Space Nine happens at the same time as Star Trek The Next Generation, but the people in Deep Space Nine are wearing different uniforms than people in Next Generation. Um, I think that they never really nailed exactly what the unified look of all the uniforms should be, and so it's kind of the Wild West, and so this was a very fun... Uh, exploration where they they tried a cool leather jacket and puffy pants for Picard for this episode and he it shows up a little bit more throughout the season and then I think they switched to something else later on but mm. this is an iconic look for Picard 
That's funny. You know, the one, the one, I, I noticed the jacket and actually I noticed Deanna's very, like her deep V. Uh, yeah, that's another big thing. And I didn't love that. I was like, oh, I kind of liked it when it was just like they, they were all, there was kind of no gender suits. Like I kind of like when I kind of like the suits were all kind of gender fluid and this one doesn't, didn't really feel like a gender fluid. <laughs> Yeah, so that's definitely breaking the canon. So there is some... So Rick Berman is a name that will come up quite often in uh, Star Trek. So he was a producer along with Gene Roddenberry and kind of known as the actual hands-on boss of Next Generation. And he made some questionable decisions in a lot of different ways, including just like championing some very bad episodes behind the scenes. This episode with Darbach, eventually he ended up saying this was one of his favorite episodes ever. And it ended up winning awards and things like that. But this actually took the longest to get from script to the screen because for two years, Rick Berman didn't like this premise and would just, push it off and push it off and be like, this is stupid. And so there's a lot of other kind of decisions like that. Uh, famously, he didn't like Dr. Crusher, who you kind of see in this episode a little bit, um, played by Gates McFadden. She's the the redheaded lady that's uh, in the yeah. meetings with them. Yeah. She was in the first season of this show, and then he didn't like her. So they she he fired her. And replaced her with an older lady in the second season that I actually came to love, but the audience hated her. And it became a big uproar and this big this big controversy. So he, tail between his legs, hired Gates McFadden back season three and on, which I think was the right choice. So he's made lots of questionable choices. And the reason that big, long, I have a big lead up to that is because one of those is that Counselor Troy is the only person in Starfleet who has this sexy bodysuit kind of uniform. And it's literally because it was the 90s and he was like, we need to have a babe on screen. And so there was a long thing behind the scenes that she was uncomfortable with. Lots of people were uncomfortable with, but he kind of pushed it on her in a way that was not okay until later seasons there was a little bit of a arc where she finally was able to get a real a real Starfleet uniform, uh, which oh, I geez. think is a lot better. And I think part of it too is I mean there's a little bit of that in the original series because it was like the go-go 60s kind of vibe yeah. too. So you know there's ladies in a in short skirts and things like that working on a bridge which seems very not practical. Mm. Um a very funny thing that they tried to do in the first season of Star Trek that I wish they went with cuz I was actually here for it is they tried to address that a little bit by putting guys in skirts in the first season. So every once in a while you just see like a random like male engineer like wearing a skirt in the engineering room which was dope, but they abandoned that quite quickly as well. Ah, interesting. Yeah. But speaking of the characters, I think that's kind of unless do you have any other thoughts about this episode before I jump into? I want to hear some of your thoughts about the specific characters we were introduced to. Let's jump to it, yeah. All right, cool. So this is a good opportunity because compared to Measure of a Man, you are introduced to a number of new characters, or you have a little bit extra time with some people that maybe only briefly showed up in the first poker scene. So I want to first start with Worf, the Klingon. He's the security officer on the Enterprise. How did you like Worf? Yeah, I mean, I like Worf. So none of these characters are new, like, to me. 
I, I know this is my first time watching it, but Enterprise is, I, I think, such a, to your point earlier, like it's yep. permeated the social uh, zeitgeist in like such a way that I know each of these names and I know, you know, some background on uh, Klingons and uh, yeah. So I, I, I like Worf. I like the arc his species has taken to come here to, you know, make it to Starfleet. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think like it might him. be useful for our listeners too, to talk about a little of the background is, so he's a Klingon. Worf is a pretty interesting character. So the Klingon empire were historically enemies of the Federation back in the original series day with Kirk. And, they were kind of the opposite of the Federation where the Federation was trying to be peaceful and learn more and be understanding. The Klingons are a warrior race. They're very tribal. They're divided in their houses and their families. And, you know, there's their cap, the per, their promotion structure on their ship is that you can become higher ranked if you kill the person who's ranked above you, for example. And so a captain only keeps his command if he can, keep control physically of everyone on his ship. But because of that, they are very, very fierce warriors and they all they care about is honor and their idea of honor and being, having an honorable death, a warrior's death. Um, and so the interesting thing about Worf was his family, his Klingon family was killed in a Romulan attack when he was a child and he was adopted by humans. And these two humans, they're these little cute Russian people that we'll end up meeting. He decides to be in the Federation. And so he is the only Klingon in the Federation. And it, there's a lot of episodes that deal with exactly what that means, because in a lot of ways, it's a dichotomy to be in the Federation and be a Klingon. And so he has to wrestle with, do I turn my back on my people or do I turn my back on the Federation in a lot of cases. And so he can be a pretty interesting character. And that also explains why every one of his solutions is, well, we should blow them up. Yeah. The next character, we, we talked about her a little bit. How do you like commander Troy or uh counselor Troy? I should say, do you know like what her job is on the ship? Have you, do you know anything about her or her race or anything? Yeah. Um, I like her. I mean, she can like, she seems to have some telepathic, like emp or empathetic, Yep. you know, reading of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's cool. Yeah, so she is, and this is another cool, cool Star Trek thing, is her official job on the ship is she's the ship's counselor, which is kind of cool that, like, what part of their bridge crew who goes into all their fancy meetings is the therapist, which is kind of fun. But yeah, you pick that up. So she can read, she has empathet empathetic abilities, we'll say, instead of telepathic abilities. So she's half Betazoid. And so... Betazoids are a race who actually are telepathic. You can see you meet her mom and she's crazy in a lot of these episodes and she can literally speak with her mind and read other people's thoughts. Troy, only because she's half Betazoid, isn't that powerful, but she can read people's kind of intentions and her feelings and things like that. And so that's another kind of cool thing is that she's not just there to kind of counsel people through grief and help them with their problems, but she's a valuable member of this crew because she can kind of sense danger. She can sense the intentions of people if they're going to attack, et cetera, et cetera. And so she, they really value her on the ship and she's a very cool character. Um, she also loves chocolate. It comes up quite a bit. Oh, um, that's a weird, weird throw in. Yeah. She eats a lot of chocolate in this series cause she's a girl. Um, 
And then speaking of Troy Riker, they don't talk about this very much, but they have a very interesting relationship. They were very, very seriously committed to one another back in the day. They uh, call themselves the Imzadi, I think it's what it's called. It's like in her culture, the one true love, essentially. But Riker kind of turned his back on her in, to go higher up in his career and made that choice and kind of shunned her. And so there's this weird emotional divide, but they also have a very loving and mature relationship where there are lots of times like that where they... Um, you know, there could be jealousy, there could be fighting, but they deal with it very maturely in a very cool way. And so that's a little bit of an extra dynamic that I don't know will come up in the episodes we talk about, but it's always quite fun to see. And we talked about Riker a little bit. We saw him in another episode, but Riker's just dope. I don't know if you have any other Riker thoughts, anything new that came up in this episode. You got to see him kind of in in action this episode. Uh, yeah, he's kind of vanilla. I, I, I mean, he didn't, yeah, I mean, yeah, he's. I mean, he hasn't done anything interesting to that I've seen yet. He's just mm-hmm. second in command, and he seems more bullish that and less uh, less thoughtful than Picard. Um, interesting. But okay. again, I've seen two episodes of them, and yeah, in this one, he was kind of a numbskull. Maybe we need to find. Maybe I need to find a good Riker episode for you to watch. Um, and then the last character I want to bring up because I don't know if he appeared in Measure of Man at all, but he is absolutely an iconic character is how did you feel about Jordy LaForge, the chief engineer of the ship? Oh yeah. I love, uh, I love reading rainbow. Yeah, exactly. He's great. And it's, you know, there's something that is, you know, we talked about the kind of non-progressive feelings of the thing that like, uh, Troy was maybe wearing, but some of the things that I think is very cool. And I think we all love LeVar Burton so much for, for his, work and reading rainbow and this is it's really cool to see a very capable black man be in charge and deal with things with science he's probably the smartest person on the ship other than data because data has an unfair advantage but he's the problem solver he's the guy that if something is going to break let's get Jordy. If there's an impossible problem, let's get Jordy. And he's figuring these things out in a way and I think for especially for the 90s that's not a, a, a archetype for a main character that you see a lot on TV. And so I think that's one of the reasons why Jordy is such an influential character through all of our, uh, through our entire culture, even until now. And people have such good feelings for LeVar Burton and that character. Mm. Another fun fact is him and data are best friends, which is very cute. Like on the show. Yeah. Like on the show. Yeah. They like hang out together and stuff and, They, they go on adventures in the holodeck together. It's it's very very cute. There's a, I think I think you you kind of saw it a little bit in the Measure of a Man episode that like we did. I, I remember now we did see Jordy a little bit because he was really mad when Data was gonna resign his post, and that's because he's like my best friend is going away. Oh yeah, so I thought that was very cute. Yeah, I count. I would. I mean, from an outsider's perspective, his costume is in uh like visor is the most iconic one of the most iconic things in star wars totally i mean yeah. star trek sorry Got that. <laughs> sorry i'm surprised i haven't done that 300 times so far cool um so with that all being said do you have any final thoughts on this episode and i would like to know is there anything specifically that you are a little bit more interested in is there something else you would like to explore in star trek 
Is there a vibe of a show of a episode that you would like to see for our next one? Um, no, this one was great. Um, if you pitch something in this realm again, I'd be curious to see if it could hold off or the, to me, this, this, this type of episode feels unsustainable for a writer. I don't know mm-hmm. if I would be shocked to see if there was another one this good with this tenure or this kind of general tone. Um, mm, if you think it exists in enterprise, I'd be interested because my guess is this is a fluke. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Um, Challenge. Huh? All right. I like that. All right. Before I get to your assignment, then do you have your D and D dice ready? Never. <laughs> do you want me to grab my dice? Um, sure. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. I'll Sorry. do the roll. It's okay. All right. I'm pulling them up right now. I got my 20 sided die. So if you all remember what we are doing is we're adding a bit of risk to this. So I am going to roll a 20 sided die. If we get a natural one, if it rolls a one, I'm going to make Mike watch a very bad episode of star Trek. If we get uh, four, this is a little bonus. I'm not telling Mike what we're going to do, but if we get a four, I'm going to make him watch something that is very special to me. Right. But other than that, you are clear to go. I guess if we get a nat 20, I think you said that I'm going to buy you steak or, or I'm going to make you steak or something. We'll figure yeah. it out. Yeah. You'll make me dinner. All right, cool. So I am about to roll. You could probably hear it. I got a 15. So we are just doing a regular episode. Uh. All right, I have a, I'm going to go a little bit, I'm going to try to introduce you to something a little new. So we've spent a bunch of time in the next generation. I'm going to ask you to watch a Deep Space Nine episode. It, in my opinion, has a lot of the mystery aspects of this and okay. kind of the good writing it, it, it deals with different subject matter though so first i am going to give you the episode it is for deep space nine a different series it is called whispers and it is season two episode four okay I, i'm going to give you a little bit of background so there's chief miles o'brien who you actually see in this episode he he started on next generation he's the guy who was operating the transporter the irish guy that was like yeah like oh we don't i don't got him or whatever um he and he is a main character on deep space nine he transfers to the space station and so what deep space nine is tonally it's quite different than next generation Instead of being on a spaceship and flying through the galaxy and meeting all these new aliens and going to them, Deep Space Nine takes place on a space station that was taken over from an enemy. There's a planet called Bajor that you will meet, and you'll see lots of Bajorans on Deep Space Nine. Major Kira is the main one of the main characters in the crew, and she is a Bajoran. They have this nose ridge, and their whole deal is that they are a very religious, peaceful planet historically, and they were taken over by a race called the Cardassians, which are kind of evil, gray-skinned, scaly kind of military race, and they were their whole planet was occupied, and so this peaceful, religious people became 
basically rebel and terrorist warriors and they fought for 20 years or something like that to against the occupation of their home planet and eventually won. They were able to kick the Cardassians off their planet. And so now in Deep Space Nine, they're trying to rebuild their society and try to figure out what what it means in this world now to be military people instead of a religious people. And so Deep Space Nine is a space station that is outside of Bajor. They guard Bajor and they guard this wormhole that lets them transfer transport things across the galaxy and they are entering negotiations with the federation to try to join the federation and so that is where we're at and that's why there are federation people on the space station trying kind of managing the space station and working with the bajorans so the thing about deep space nine is it's much more wild west it's out on the outskirts of the the galaxy there's a There's a fun barkeeper who's kind of a criminal. There's a constable. The captain is kind of like the sheriff and like, or the mayor of the town. And then you get these really weird characters filtering through and they try to keep their peace and it's much more dirty. You know, they, they don't play within the rules as much as they would in next generation. So there's a much different vibe. So that is all the background to deep space nine. And this episode I think is a good mystery episode and it will, introduce you to a lot of these characters and the setting of deep space nine and i'll be interested to see how you like it compared to next generation does that sound okay to you mike let's do it let's do it all right so again that's deep space nine the episode is named whispers and it's season two episode 14 cool mike do you want to tell people where they can find us on the internet yeah, check us out at, on Instagram and Twitter at Rebels Rebels Pod, and you can always email the show at RebelsRebelsPod at gmail.com. And we will see you later. In the meantime, Mike and Peter on the podcast. Ooh, nice.